Good Divorce Podcast with Kate Brown. Hello, I'm Kate Brown. I'm a divorce and separation mediator. I've also been divorced, have three children of my own and two stepkids. No doubt about it, divorce is messy and painful all round. But it doesn't have to be a never-ending nightmare. There is a way through it and there are steps you can take to help yourself and your family make peace with your new circumstances. In this podcast, I want to share my personal experience and draw on the insights of some amazing guests who have loads to say on the subject professionally and personally, and by doing so, help you have the best breakup possible. As an example in itself, my own divorce inspired a whole new career for me as a family mediator. Several years ago, I found myself facing divorce after 13 years of marriage, and I simply had no idea how we were going to make it work financially or with the kids. As it turned out, my husband insisted we try and resolve our issues through mediation, as we really didn't have the money for expensive solicitors. I was reluctant at first, but I have to say that over the course of a few months, we managed to reach a financial settlement that we could work with. And I remember thinking at the time what extraordinary skills the mediator had to take us from what was a really bad place to being able to see a future for ourselves and also walk out of the room talking to each other. While not exactly best friends now, I think we have done really well and in large part thanks to mediation. And looking back, I can say hand on heart that I had a good divorce. I made a mental note there and then that if the time ever came for a career change from my old life as a television producer, then I'd explore family mediation, which is exactly what I did about seven years ago when I started my training and then set up my practice, and here I am. Rather than go into a long explanation myself of how mediation works, I spoke to Nicola Crowther, who runs a leading mediation service in the northeast of England. She started out as a family solicitor, and I had a really good chat with her about why she decided to make the career shift. We're two mediators, mm-hmm. and I'm just interested to know why you became a mediator. Yeah, well, that happened about 12 years ago now. I was practicing family law and retrained. Um, I think I, I'd been in practice for about 10 years and um, at that time, I think was was slowly becoming a little bit disillusioned with the the process, um, and could see lots of clients going through a very difficult time, and realizing that I felt a little bit powerless that uh, that I probably wasn't giving them the service that I wanted to give. I wanted to help these people get a a quicker turnaround and a more cost effective turnaround, and it always felt you know like a something of a, a pyrrhic victory when you you know, you get a good outcome at court, but there is an enormous bill and it's taken two and a half years to get there. Um, so I, I started to think there has to be a better way to do this. Um, and that's when I, I turned to mediation and thought it would just be a more fulfilling, rewarding career. And thus far, it has proven to be. So for people that don't really know how mediation works, can you just explain what is mediation? Well, big question. So, well, (laughs) mediation then really is about um, two individuals uh, coming together to have a a discussion that that isn't an argument. And it's the role of the mediator to present an impartial person who is going to help them explore all of their options, um, you know, and identify the issues and see if you can narrow those options down and help them to work towards a, a settlement. But it's about 
doing that in a way that really empowers them to to find that solution themselves. And so it's about them making the decisions. And so as a mediator, we're not going to make the decisions or tell them what to do, but we can certainly provide them with a a safe, controlled environment where they can have that much needed conversation and, and hopefully find the option that works for them. And do you, do you think it can work in every case? Sadly, not every case. Somebody asked me this question recently, and so I should be slightly more prepared. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I just don't think it can be. It was a trainee that asked me this um, right. the other day, simply because she was on the back of a particularly difficult matter with a a client who was completely irrational at this moment. You know, he had, he was so angry and uh, about the whole thing, found himself saying ridiculous things, you know, like if I come away with nothing and she comes with nothing, well, that's fine. And it isn't fine when there's three children involved, you know, nobody should spend all that money on lawyers. But the, I think, you know, my answer to her was that not every case can settle on that day. And so it might be that if this same particular person comes back to us in a few months' time, he might be thinking differently. And so, yes, I, I do believe that everything could settle, just not necessarily on that day. And so you've got to have all the all the planets aligning, I think, really. I, I certainly find that some people, they want somebody just to say, yes, you're right. A judge is going to see where I'm coming from. Yes. Uh, you know, he or she is going to award me everything I feel I'm entitled to. Absolutely. And then there's a bit of a sort of reality check as the the costs start to mount and the reality of things being so long drawn out become clear in a way. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, massively. And and again, I often find that those clients who haven't had any legal advice, you know, will, will come into mediation, you know, sort of with wild views about, <laughs> about what they can expect from this and what a court would give them because they're clearly the wronged party and, and all the rest of it. And so, you know, as mediators, it's very hard for us to then pour cold water on that and say that that might not be the case. Uh, and maintain your impartiality and, and all the rest of it at the same time. So I am a believer that, you know, legal advice is a, is a part of the process um, to help clients, you know, with those parameters. But, um, but yeah, certainly it, it, is, it is difficult to, to give that guidance to clients and they need it so much, you know, just to explain to them that, yeah, they're not always going to get the moon on a stick, unfortunately. Mm. You mentioned the, the word impartiality. Mm-hmm. I certainly find that that's something I I think about a lot because obviously if you are trying to mediate with people and one party just is really behaving badly, being really unreasonable, how do you maintain that impartiality? Yeah, it can be really infuriating. And as a mediator, I think that's you know possibly one of the biggest challenges we face is maintaining that impartiality because we are only human at the end of the day. Uh, and so therefore, naturally, we will want to draw allegiances, if you like, or, or we see that, you know, God, I wouldn't have done it like that, or they might be in the wrong or, you know, that particular shouty person. But if you can remind yourself all the time that the person you're dealing with, who you might view as being unra- unrealistic or irrational, actually, that's just somebody who is is frustrated, somebody who is perhaps in fear. You know, I do a lot of conflict management training as well. And and I always teach that conflict comes from a, a place of fear. And so that actually somebody who is shouting and, and screaming and, and all the rest of it actually is just somebody who's frightened. And in, the, in this case, probably frightened of losing something, their home, their children, you know, the things that are most important to us. Absolutely. What's the 
one of the hardest cases that you've ever mediated where you thought perhaps you wouldn't be able to settle it, but you did? I think sometimes it, it's it's polar opposites. It's either the cases that spring to mind are the, are the ones where, you know, there is a huge amount of assets and, a, you know, a huge wide ranging property portfolio and, and pensions and all sorts of really complex stuff to deal with. Those ones always fill mediators with dread. There's a lot to get through. And, and it's about, you know, knowing when to call in experts and bring in pensions actuaries and financial advisors and, you know, capital gains tax advisors. You know, those ones are, are always tough cases, but <laughs> you, shouldn't, just? You, you shouldn't shy away from them. We should just, you know, treat them as we would anything else and give those people the chance to, to try and resolve matters. But similarly, I find the cases that are always toughest are the ones where where the issues are incredibly narrow. Usually, you know, where a, a child should live, you know, a teenage child who's made a decision they want to spend less time here and more time here, or maybe it's a change of school, or should they go on a foreign holiday? And so it's just one issue and everything else is sorted. They just can't decide what they're going to do for Christmas. And you think, oh, those are the, the tough ones when it's just one smaller issue to deal with. Yeah, I think they're always the more challenging ones. How often do you find that you see children within the mediation process? We see children quite commonly. Initially, again, it was something I was really unsure about. When I first heard about this, I just thought, oh, do you know, I'm just just not qualified enough. And there are people out there who've spent a lifetime getting qualifications to be able to speak to, to children. And I was worried that the qualifications we had as mediators just didn't stretch far enough. So initially I resisted this massively and then when it became compulsory that we had to offer it, I started to get into it a bit more and um, quite often, again, I will work with a, a local child psychologist who will come in and sit with us when we speak to children. I mean, this isn't child consultation as we know it, but it's a format that works really well here and um, it means that if the child psychologist is there, then actually somebody far more trained than me is talking to the children and getting their wishes and feelings and perhaps would spot things that I might not spot. But then I go back and feed back to the parents because speaking to parents is what I'm good at. Uh, speaking to children is what somebody else is good at. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, but having having been done it this way, it's given me the confidence to speak to children on my own. So I don't always bring in a child psychologist, but it does mean that I get to to see the huge reward from doing this. And now I think it's incredibly valuable, especially with slightly older children who, you know, have their own thoughts and opinions and ability to make decisions and and should be heard, you know, and be part of this decision making, part of the process and, and not just, you know, something that's done to them. So I actually see that it massively benefits children. I, I really think it does, but I think I always worry that I'm going to make it worse in some ways yes. that yeah. also by feeding back to the parents what the children have told me that they're going to find that just very hard to accept and then take it out on the children and you're right you're absolutely right Kate these were all my reservations about this but I have found that actually children are, are, are delighted that someone's speaking to them they're, they're really glad to be heard uh, and they sort of tumble it all out don't hold anything back and then I say at the end of the conversation we're going to work out what it is that you want me to feed back to your parents if anything at all I don't have to tell them anything but I, th I have found to my surprise about nine times out of ten children will say oh tell them everything I have just said 
Uh, and I think there's something, the relief, I think, something sort of quite cathartic almost in being able to to have a messenger. You know, they're never going to pluck up the, the courage to tell mum or tell dad that that's what they're thinking. But if they can get somebody to go and do it for them, oh, well, that's just amazing. Yes, you go and tell them that, tell them that, you know. And of course, I can't make any promises to them that parents will listen, take it on board or make the changes. But at least the child knows that somebody spoke to them, that they, they were heard, you know. So just going back to how people find mediation, how do people first come to you? Well, through various means. I mean, we still sort of traditionally get referrals from solicitors. And again, for a raft of reasons, most of them genuinely looking to, to help their clients find a resolution. Some of them literally just wanting us to sign a form to allow them to go ahead and make court applications. But we also find that we are now more than ever, certainly more than when I first started in practice, you know, 12 years ago, we are now getting clients who come to us directly, you know, and they find us via the internet or word of mouth or whatever. But they seem to understand now that mediation is part of the, the divorce and separation process and part of the legal process and the framework so that, you know, they know they have to speak to a mediator. And and of course, you know, I think there was a storyline on Coronation Street. So it's was definitely, <laughs> definitely mainstream now. <laughs> Everybody must finally know what mediation is. But um, but yeah, so I, I feel like it's changed massively from when I first started and just, you know, 12 years. It's not a long time. Um, but yeah, and so we get more and more. But, you know, when, when they come to us, you know, our first question is always, have you had any legal advice? We don't pretend that this is a substitute for legal advice, even though I'm legally trained and the mediators who all work here are all previously legally trained. That doesn't mean to say we would dare to give legal advice. So we always ask our clients to, to seek legal advice and get some good parameters. Is that really just to find out what they're entitled to or how the law might yeah. view their particular case? Yeah, because I don't know about you, Kate, but there was just really nothing more frustrating that in that first mediation session when everyone's eager to make progress and you've got one person saying, well, that pension's mine entirely because I worked really hard for it, so that is my pension. And they just don't understand that actually, well, no, you, you could make a claim on that and that could be shared and it... You know, that's a real shocker to them. Um, or you, I don't know how often you come across this one when you get somebody who turns up and says, oh, he or she had an affair. So I'm obviously going to get 100% of everything, aren't I? Yes, <laughs> I find that's a, that's a very common one, isn't it? Well, yeah, really he common. ran off, therefore I'm entitled to everything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so then, then you have to be the bearer of bad news that says, no, we don't we don't really work the way it is in America. It's a bit different here. And <laughs> I know, even though you have some sympathy. Yes, massively. It's always terrible. But yes, you have to say, look, you know, it's a different situation. And, and yeah, so at that moment... It's really hard to be the bearer of that bad news and maintain impartiality and all the rest of it. So as much as, you know, we'll go as far as we can, but the reality is that person really needs a bit of legal advice that says, look, you know, in real terms, the court will look at this, 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 and you might, might not get this, this, and this, you know. Otherwise, that first mediation session is almost wasted with somebody who arrived with a completely overinflated idea of their case you know and you have to spend the whole session sort of trying to pull it down it is ultimately a negotiation isn't it absolutely yeah and keep plodding through and keep going through the options and, and striking them out and finding alternatives until you've narrowed it down so that there is only maybe one or two options which one is it going to be and mm. you know and I remind clients all the time that the court won't have any more options available to them 
to the options we ask you to look at in mediation because you know that there is another set of tricks that they've got that we haven't got you know that this is it and if you don't pick one then a court will at, at enormous expense mm. i always think there's a great moment of clarity when you've gone through people's finances with them and you've drawn up a financial statement and you're showing that to them on a flip chart or whatever yeah and they see what the pot of money is that they have mm-hmm. and it suddenly focuses their mind on okay now we have to look at how you fairly divide that and mm-hmm. how you are going to support two households and somehow there's a real clarity there when you yes. see that mm-hmm. and you think well I might want a million pounds but if there's 150,000 in the pot that's just not yeah, where's it going to come from exactly yeah. uh-huh. and suddenly you realize the penny drops a little bit and they go okay yes. now how are we going to look at the real options yeah, start here? rethinking mm. yeah uh-huh you're right and it's about getting them around to that realistic thinking um and so yeah we have to and that's that again that's the role of a mediator isn't it our job is to you know road test that and, and play it out and then get them to see how it looks and when they realize that it's untenable then they have to rethink it out again, you know? Um, but yeah, you're right. There is that moment, isn't there, where you can almost hear the penny drop. And that, that's a <laughs> lovely moment. <laughs> and it's interesting how people do start to look forward, look ahead and say, well, what is possible? And once they can see a future for themselves, it gets a lot easier, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Because I always say to clients, you know, that, the worst thing about separating is 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 the not knowing, you know, having no idea where where you might be living this time next year or where you'll be for Christmas or should you book a holiday day buy a new car? Should you take a promotion at work? You just don't know what you should or shouldn't be doing or, or what your future looks like. So that's so much uncertainty. And I always think that that's a really awful place to be living. And so if we can start to get them to be, uh, you know, I would say media future focused, if we can start to get them to look at what their future might be and start to feel what that might be like, then yes, when they when they start to there's that realization dawns, then yeah, you can see them start to move towards a settlement and more realistic thinking because suddenly, yes, there might be some light at the end of a very dark tunnel. Yeah, and that's yeah. again a lovely moment. It uh-huh. is, it is. And how do you feel when some a couple walk out of the the room and they've reached a settlement and you're thinking they were in such a bad place a few months ago. It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I was again talking to a trainee about this the other day and she, <laughs> she quite rightly said she was completely wrung out. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And she went, but at the same time, she said, I'm just thrilled, but exhausted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Really? Yeah. You don't know whether to have a lay down or, or run around the room. Um, but yeah. <laughs> have a large glass of wine, I think. Yeah. <laughs> thrilled and exhausted in equal measure. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Kate? Are you, are you doing much online mediation. I found in this pandemic, we very quickly had to adapt and we did. And I have found it to be so much better that I don't imagine that we'll go back to to being face-to-face. What about you? That's so interesting. I know that when we first had to take everything online, I really struggled with it because Mm -hmm. um, I I didn't feel particularly comfortable with with 
doing everything on Zoom and when you're juggling a lot of financial discussions and financial documents and things like that, it was really difficult. But actually, mm-hmm. in lots of ways, now I've got used to it, I yeah. think it's really successful. What, yeah. what do you think? Well, I think there's an awful lot less anxiety surrounding it, you know. When I, you know, there's something about them just being in their own living room in their comfy clothes with their dog next to them, you know, that I, I feel they're a lot less anxious. I, you know, I look back and think, yes, when we used to put them in the same room side by side, it almost <laughs> seems barbaric that you would do that now. But, you know, they'd come in and I think I used to spend sort of the first 15 minutes of every session just gently calming them down. You could see them nervous and shaking and, you know, haven't seen each other for a long time, maybe mm. haven't spoken for a long time. And then here they all sat next to each other. And, you know, so the first 15 minutes would really be just, get, you know, giving them loads of reassurance and getting them to calm down and relax into it and start to open up and talk. Whereas I feel now they go straight to that, straight off the belt because they haven't had to, you know, find a building, find a parking space, bump into each other in the waiting area. You know, all of that is removed. Yeah. Can you think of one case that you could describe to me that's been your proudest moment in a way as a mediator? Is that, I know it's a difficult question to ask, but can you think of a you know one more case where it's gone particularly well when you didn't expect it to there is one case that that I always look back at and think it was a proud moment um as we do it suddenly made me think it was all worthwhile and it was a child consultation case and I I think there's a, a blog about it on on our website but teenage girl who just got out of the car on a Saturday afternoon out of dad's car and said, that's it, I hate you, I'm never seeing you again, because he told her off for swearing on the on the way home. <laughs> and that was it, pulled the shutters down for 12 months, pulled the shutters down, refused oh my to see him. And it, when all said and done, you know, mum was saying, I'm desperate for her to go, her little sister still sees you every week, but she doesn't go. You know, I really would like her, you know, to to see you, but I, I I don't know what I can do to, I can't force her and we can't make her. And how do we fix this? And it occurred to me that this, this girl just needed a platform. She just needed a lifeline. And so she came into our office and spoke to me and I reassured her that dad isn't even a little bit angry with you and neither is mum. In fact, mum really wants you to go. Did you know that? And, you know, it all transpired that she said this thing and she said, that's it, I'm never, ever going again. And then didn't really know how to say to mum, oh, well, do you know what, actually, I maybe would like to go and see dad this weekend. She thought she'd kicked up such a fuss that she would look foolish if she said that. And was also then by then worried that, oh, dad must be furious with me now. It's been it's been weeks since I've seen him. I bet he's really angry. Um, and so it just drifted on with her doing absolutely nothing. And the weeks and weeks and the months and months went by, you know. Um, and so after I had explained to her that dad wasn't even a little bit mad and mum would be thrilled if she said she wanted to go, um, this came as an absolute revelation to her. And so, yeah, I said, you know, how are we going to fix this? And she said, oh, well, could could dad pick me up and we could go for a cup of tea in the oh. cafe this weekend? And they did. And that was it. You know, it instantaneously reconnected and she immediately started staying overnight regularly. And that dad still keeps in touch with me now um, and, oh. and tells me how well it's going. And I, I just think... Yeah, that girl was, although it, you know, a teenager and a young adult, still a child. And is it right that at 13 you get to make a decision that your dad isn't going to be in your life ever again? You know, as adults, it is our job to step in and help her to fix that because that might be a decision she lives to regret. 
you know. That's such a lovely story. Yeah, it was an, it was an amazing moment and suddenly made me realise that it is all all worthwhile. And a lot of mediation is just about giving people the platform to have this conversation, you know, that these parents hadn't been able to speak between themselves about this. And if they had, they could have fixed it themselves without my intervention, I'm sure of it. But, you know, without mediation, they never would have. And I've had several similar cases since, particularly with teenage girls. Um, <laughs> yes. I think have a capacity to make these lovely sweeping decisions um, <laughs> that they might live to regret. So, yeah, I have to say those are the moments where you think, yeah, those, those families just needed a bit of help along the way. And if Absolutely. nobody stepped in to help, then that would have been a real loss for that girl. Nicola Crowther there from Crowther Mediation. And so just to recap, mediation is where two people come together to have a conversation, not an argument, with a mediator guiding them to make their own decisions. You can expect to pay a fraction of the cost of going to court and you'll most likely come away on better terms with your ex than after a lengthy legal battle, which is much healthier for the kids and will let you all move on quicker. As mediators, we would say that, wouldn't we? But it really is a tried and tested way to reach a fair agreement in the best interests of the children. So do at least give it a try. Thanks for listening to the Good Divorce Podcast and join me next time. The Good Divorce Podcast with Kate Brown. Follow and rate on your favourite podcast app.